For while all the earth is mine, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. With this statement, a worldview was shifted. Already unique to the ancient Near Eastern world was a nation would function with their God as their only king. Their God, but no human king. And this was the way that God was rolling at this point in Israel's history. I will be your king. Surely then he would keep religion safe by handing it over to the experts. Right? Keeping it in the inner circle so that people didn't get the wrong idea over who God is and what he is saying. Throughout the ancient Near East, priests exclusively help people know God, usually by way of searching through the entrails of a sacrifice. It's often done. What is God saying? Or through trying to interpret the stars in the heavens. A priest told you who God is and what he is saying to you. Nobody else contributes really in pointing people to God or gods in some cases. But the God of the Hebrews says to his people, you, each of you will be part of a kingdom of priests. Each gets to contribute in pointing people to the king. And if I did an impromptu poll this morning, uh, my guess would be very few of you aspired to be priests growing up. All right, at least not the kind with the collar who may or may not have kind of smelled funny. Is that true? How many of you here, maybe you did, maybe you aspired to be a priest. How many of you aspired to be a sports star when you grew up? All right, very nice. I did as well. How many of you aspired to just be a nurse or a social worker or a doctor? You help people in that way. Raise your hand. And now, priests. This is great. Actually, two people want to be a priest. I'm I'm surprised. Okay, we're going to talk later about that. Priests specifically, I want to... We need to hear more. All right. But maybe you've had someone you've looked to. uh, Someone who taught you. Someone who modeled for you who God is. Someone whom you'd admire, but you never really thought to aspire. You admired them, but you didn't necessarily aspire to be them because their life, their, their giftedness, their contribution, their knowledge of God was like way up here, and you felt like way down here. So you admired them, but you didn't like expire to be them because it seemed they were so above you. Especially when you started knowing God. Whether it might be a pastor, or a parent, a teacher, a classmate, a good friend of the family, or just a family man, co-worker who works near you. My priest, that person in my life, was a camp director. A summer camp director who showed me Jesus in the Bible first. He invested in me as a young man. Not only during summers and camp hours, but outside of those. And when the time was right, and I seemed ready, he shared with me the gospel of Jesus. The good news about Jesus. And one year, it finally kind of took root. And I trusted my life to Christ. That man was my priest. Now, having trusted my life to Jesus, I returned to the other coast of the United States. To the West Coast. For my junior year of high school. 
And I was equipped there, I was equipped with tools, but without the community to contribute to. I fell back so with familiar friends into old patterns, old ways, rebellion. That all changed, thankfully, my senior year. When two different leaders from two different Christian ministries approached me and said, you know what, we believe you have something to offer. And when they said you and they were looking in my direction, I was like, what? Like you, these were people who knew me when I was a rebel, when I was far from God, when I had very little to offer, and I knew it. And they could see it in me. that I, I didn't like myself. I didn't like who I was. I didn't like what I could give. But they saw a change, and they said, you have something to offer. And since it was two different sets of people saying it to me, I was like, maybe this is actually true. And it didn't happen the next day, but soon come, I began to contribute with my life. Uh, and that began, my senior year, up to that point, the best year of my life. Someone said to me, you have something to give because something has been given to you. So I contributed time, talents, even what treasure I had as a senior in high school, which was, admittedly, very little. Using my gifts, using, using these things, then trying to encourage people around me to do the same. And, and something started to grow. Something around me grew there in Orange County. California, not only the kingdom of God, not only the rule and reign of God around me, but also in me, I began to grow. So when God says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, we've got to understand that's Exodus 19. It's a promise. He's saying, you shall contribute. You're going to get to do this, but it didn't happen the next day. They first, as we've seen, had to learn the fear of God. They learned how to love through this law of love. They learned how to respond to stumbling for a lack of love, giving themselves over to a golden calf. And finally, they learned how to return to God for restoration. All of this happened, and the moment came, at least months, months, months later in Exodus 35, when promise finds fulfillment, when knowledge and theory meet that first opportunity to step out and contribute. Let's read, starting in Exodus chapter 35, verse 4. You can find that on page 65 if you're using one of these Bibles we provide. And you're going to need a Bible, so hail a Bible, find a Bible, look one up on your smartphone, iPhone, whatever phone, Blackberry, Raspberry you got this morning. Look it up, find it, Exodus 35, verse 4, because it's not going to be up on the screen. I want you to be looking back at your Bible. Exodus 35, starting in verse 4, we'll read through verse 9. And then we'll keep going. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, Oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the aphod and for the breastpiece, like we read about last week. So he goes on, he continues to list things needed for this sacrificial system to work, for the sanctuary to run, for the priests to do their job, for people to be restored to God. Then we get to verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. So I want you to see what's happening here. 
just to think about this more in depth. Everything that will make fellowship with the king possible, God is trusting his people to contribute. He's commanding it. He's sharing. He's saying, this is what you can bring to make this kingdom grow and build. Fellowship with me possible. That's going to be the foundation. You're going to bring it. And then Moses lets them go. They don't, they don't make pledges. They don't sit there and say, hey, I have something to give. They don't raise their hands and all take a tally of each thing they can contribute. They leave. But then we get verse 21. They came back. <laughs> they came back. They came, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, and they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meaning and for all its service, for the holy garments. They came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Everyone who possessed blue or purple, scarlet yarns, fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goatskins, brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze, they brought it as the Lord's contribution. Everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. Every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them used their skill, spun the goat's hair. <laughs> and all the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod, the breastpiece, the spices, the oil for light, the anointing oil for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, all the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Then we meet about the people who are going to take these things and use them to build. All right, Bezalel and Aholiab. And we're going to learn more about them next week. Skip down to chapter 36, verse 2. Moses called Belazel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, and everyone whose heart stirred him to come to do the work, they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So that, check this out, all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of work in the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command. The word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. This is God's word. see, the people freely contribute, and that's when not only do they grow, but God's kingdom grows. And that's what we're going to learn this morning in a nutshell. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this, and it's true about you. You can be involved in this. In a nutshell, this is the message. God uses generosity to build his kingdom. God uses free-flowing generosity to build his kingdom. To expand his rule and reign not only around you, but in you. God gives first. He is the first one to be generous. Then, what do we do? What do we do when God is so good to us? We respond. We respond by being generous ourselves. Who do we give to? Well, in a local church, we actually entrust our generosity to leaders. 
leadership guides generosity. And we see that with Moses and the leaders here. And then we see generosity regenerate itself. Generosity begets generosity. That's how it works. It's genius. And if this sounds at all familiar, it should, because today's sermon outline that you have, hopefully in your hand or nearby, is literally the outline of our February series. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we call the genius of generosity. It's the same outline. I didn't plan this back in February. Think, oh, we'll go ahead, we're going to read Exodus. And in Exodus, we're going to see the same ideas for generosity that we see in 2 Corinthians in the, in the church today. I didn't sort of pre-plan this, nor did I put this outline out here just to kind of be lazy this week and say, you know what, I'll just pull out old stuff, right, from the old sermons. I'll just copy and paste a little bit. We'll just work this. That we see the outline of two chapters in a letter to an early church preceded here in the Old Testament as an outline of events that occurred 2,000 years earlier should greatly hearten us. We see it first in the Old Testament as a shadow. We see it very directly in the New Testament. Same principle, same pattern that should hearten us because what we realize is the entire Bible preaches one sermon. And that's what we've been trying to say through this series on Exodus. That this, this Bible really preaches just one sermon, one message, and that message is Jesus. God's generosity to us in Jesus. So wherever you open the Bible, all of it's pointing to Jesus. It's either pointing you ahead to Jesus, preparing you to know Jesus. It's proclaiming to you the person and ministry of Jesus. Or it's showing you how to respond to Jesus. But it's doing one of those things. Pointing, preparing, proclaiming, or showing you how you can respond to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And so you had the same series that I had up there earlier. I hope you saw it from our church website, from our media thing, MP3 player. Those were the, that was the sermon outlines each week. And that's our sermon outline this morning, which I just find unbelievable. This moment in time amongst God's people, let's call it a Sunday in 2132 B.C., right? Obviously, we don't know. We're not, we don't get the, the title or date here. But let's just call it that. It's a moment in time. Provides us a pattern pointing ahead to the regular response of generosity in the church of Jesus Christ. The way people are generous back then, because of God's great generosity, shows us how we're supposed to be generous now. And so Jesus' servant, the Apostle Paul, he repeats that. And lo and behold, as he repeats that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he even quotes Exodus. So what you're going to see me do this morning is occasionally I'm going to point us to the second letter of the Corinthian church to help us behold God's ingenious plan to risk everything on this eternal plan of generosity. He risks it all on generosity. First, his. God is radically generous, generous to us. So first we see that God gives. Where in our passage this morning, though, do we see God give anything? It's not obvious, is it? But we see it through restoration and riches. First, restoration. Everything to which the people are contributing is ultimately for their own restoration to God. Think about it. An ark, an altar, a priest, and a tabernacle. All these are necessary for a stubborn and unfaithful people to get back to a faithful God. An ark symbolized the presence of God. The tabernacle was where the ark rested. It was God's home. The priest, in this elaborate garment he wore, we talked about last week, got between 
a holy God and us. All right? He would be getting behind that curtain. And the priest would sit here in front of you. And he would take your sacrifice. And he would put it on that altar. And justice would be done. Blood would be spilt on your behalf. So your blood would never have to be spilt. Because he wants to love you and forgive you and restore you. All that's there here in this tabernacle with these priests through these sacrifices. And all the people are being generous to that. God is gracefully almost serving up a slow pitch. Right? He's handing it on a platter for them. That their first great act of collective generosity is you get to generously contribute your time, your talent, your treasure to something that will actually save you. That will actually restore you. Wouldn't we want that if God said to you? It's, it's like a father and child, their first time working together on a science project. Right? Or maybe they're working on a, a special car or computer together. Some type of project. They get together, a young child, his father. Now does the child give what they can? Right? Their time, their talents, maybe a few materials. Maybe they bring the Elmer's glue along. <laughs> maybe they even go on Wikipedia at best to do their research. Because everything on Wikipedia is true. Sure, they contribute. But who really generously makes the, the project, the end result possible? The one staying up late, right? The one driving to A.L. Thompson's, Uncle Bill's, Cox Lumber. Have I thought of every place I can go to to try to find this? <laughs> the one who buys two of that part because they're worried one might not work. The one who risks leaving early for work so that they can be there with their kid to help them again on this project they're working on. The one with all the power and the knowledge helping a young child, risking it on someone who literally can never pay it back. That's what's happening here in Exodus 35 and 36. This is our Father's radical generosity to us in Jesus Christ as explained by the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich... How is Jesus rich? We don't see that in his life and ministry. He was rich because he was with the Father, enthroned in heaven forever. All power, all authority, yet for your sake he came poor. He took on flesh, all the suffering that entails, potential sickness, all the weakness, all the proneness to temptation. He became poor for your sake. So that through his poverty, the Bible says, you might become rich. Jesus Christ becomes poor. You might become rich. He gave up everything. For the first time in eternity, he was separated from the presence of his Father and took the sin of the world upon himself. That just by believing that, you could have life with him forever. See, generosity always starts with, with God. You might say, well, aha, though, Pastor. I read this passage with you. I was, I was tracking. The people do pay back God. They give Him all their riches, in fact. So let's look at that. Verses 22-23. through 23. Everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins brought them. Everyone who could made a contribution of silver, bronze, brought it to the Lord. Alright, so here they are giving all that they can back to God. So wait a minute, they did pay God back. And that's how this works, right? God, sure, God helps you, but then you spend the rest of your life paying God back until you're equal. Except, 
Even these riches that we just read about were given by God. Turn back, if you would, just quickly here. Thumb back, keep a little finger, finger bookmark to Exodus chapter 12, verse 33 through 36. This is the Exodus. The people were getting out of the land. The Egyptians were urgent with the people, sent them out of the land in haste. They said, dang, we're all going to be dead. That's my paraphrase there. <laughs> so the people took their dough before it was leavened. They're kneading their bowls, being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for what? Silver, gold jewelry, and clothing. Linens, yarns, silkness, and all that kind of stuff. Goat's hair, things you made clothing with. The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have what they asked, and they plundered the Egyptians. So God not only delivered his people, but he gave and restored them to life, but he gave them riches. Riches. He was the one who gave that to them. Now, there's a temptation with any treasure we have, be it material, be it time itself, be it a gift or talent, to give credit back to Egypt. To say, Egypt deserves the credit. My labor in Egypt deserves the credit. My labor in the world deserves the credit. It's interesting to add that all the skills and talents referred to here in Exodus were fined, they were given, they were fined, they were developed through their work in Egypt. The skillful women who spin the fine yarns and linens in verse 25 and the spinstress work of verse 26, we know historically they learned in Egypt. We know this from various artifacts and hieroglyphs that the Egyptian women were very skilled in this art. They taught it to the women, and then they got the materials to do it as they plundered the Egyptians. You know, so we often believe our time, our talents, our treasures ultimately come from Egypt. So we give back our treasure to Egypt. You're like, Ryan, what do you mean Egypt? I don't never been there. I don't know anyone who lives there. I'm talking about giving it back to the world of our workplaces, where we spend the bulk of our time, where we often get our earnings, and we think to ourselves, but wait a minute, that's my treasure. That's, that's my skill that I learned by being good at this, and I need to give it either all back to work or I spend it on myself. Remember all those times in Exodus where the people say, I want to go back. Egypt is so good. Of course they did. They had riches from Egypt. So it was so tempting to think, well then, it all must be from Egypt. And it would be tempting to think that. But turn back now to a promise. I'll show it up on here on the screen. This is a promise given 700 years prior to the Exodus. So we've gone back from contribute, be a priest, give what you have to the Exodus where God gave them all the stuff to contribute, and then we get a promise about that stuff to contribute all the way back in Genesis 15. Check this out, verses 13 through 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs, and they will be servants there, slaves there. They will be afflicted there for 400 years. He's talking about what? Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. So God has already promised this. He has said, I am going to give this for you. If, if you don't believe me, look at the promise given 400 years earlier. This isn't from Egypt. This is ultimately from me. 
Every gift, every talent you have, the time you have to do your work, the treasures you get from your work, whatever your work might be, whether it's chasing around kids, whether it's loving people through nonprofits and volunteer work, or whether it's an eight, nine to five, or more likely eight to six, or as someone told me today, six a.m. to six p.m. in their workplace. No, it's all from, it's all for me. It's all from me. It's all for my work. See, God promised the same to us. Matthew six thirty three. If you seek His kingdom, all these things will be given to you: clothing, food to eat, everything you need for life. It's all going to come from me. Guys, we need to daily meditate, consider, remind one another of of both of these things. Restoration we have in Christ and riches we have from Him. Time, treasure, talents. We need to remind each other of the cross and the blessings. Both help fuel generosity. We have times today like Sunday worship, community group, a daily quiet time, praise music in the car, or even with friends. We need to have that concentrated time to help us hone in on the cross, the source of our restoration. Otherwise, we drift towards crediting Egypt. We drift towards our own hands, what our own hands have done in Egypt, and say, we deserve this. We've worked hard. And we begin to praise something that's not the source of our riches. The gifts and not the giver. But the genius of God is also to bless us with every good thing in Christ. As Romans 8.32 reminds us. Because our days are not filled with a cross right in front of us. Our days aren't filled with a scripture verse right here. Or a praise song running in earbuds. Because we have kids running around in diapers. Right? Both of which are gifts. The child you love and the diaper that protects your carpet, right? And everything else around you. It's both the work lunch for which you don't pay, the talent that helps you crunch numbers and see beyond the first step of a problem. All of these things are gifts and serve as concrete reminders. God loves you, He's generous to you, He cares for you. See that? So we need both. We need that restoration, the cross, and we need the daily gifts and blessings and reminders that you're gifted. You have a talent. You can use it. God has blessed you all around you. And we need both. It's the, if I can borrow another, from another religion, philosophy, it's the yin and yang of God's generosity. The restoration through Christ and the cross and every blessing that results that we see. So first, God gives, but also we see here in this passage, we respond God's generosity is designed to fuel in us generosity with our time, our talents, and our treasure. One of the amazing things we see here, guys, is a voluntary response, right, from God's people. Look with me if you would. First in verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought Yahweh's contribution to be used in the tent of meaning for all its service. Verse 22. They came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, they came. It was voluntary. Verse th- chapter 36, verse 2. Every craftsman whose mind Yahweh put skilled, everyone whose heart stirred him up to do the work. This implied the reality not everyone's heart was stirred, doesn't it? Not everyone came forth and said, yeah, I'll volunteer. I'm coming with my gift. Some people kept their gift and they stayed home. That's implied here, isn't it, in this passage? It was the people who were stirred up. That's important. Because generosity back to God, loving God back by loving our neighbor, 
God's never going to make you. He's never going to force your hand. In fact, three times we are told these things are all free will offerings. Look at that, verse 20, verse 29. Chapter 36, verse 3. Free will offerings. God hasn't even defined what these are yet. Later he will in the book of Leviticus. He'll say, here are offerings you're supposed to give regularly. But you know what you can also do? You can go to God's house and you can freely give what you want to. Praise. Honor. These people don't need to be told that this is a law. They just need to know a generous God and respond freely. And that's what happens here. This too is how we are to respond to Christ. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 Each must give as he's made up his mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. God's never going to make you give. He wants you though to know what he's given you in Christ. So we see first of all a voluntary response. We also see in this passage something we see in the New Testament, right? A proportional response. Look at verse 24. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it. So first of all, not everyone had the same gift or talent. And they didn't all, not everyone could bring silver and bronze. Not everyone could say, look, I just need to go down to Butterfield CMB, open up my deposit, and bring out my gold bullion. Right? Not everyone could do that. Not everyone could say, like, I've got silver and bronze too if you need it. But some could. That's what the New Testament teaches as well. We give in proportion to what God's given us. 2 Corinthians 8.12, if the readiness to give is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. God doesn't say give what you don't have. Keep going, keep going, keep going. God doesn't expect every person to be generous with the same amount, but proportional to what's been given. The most obvious example of this applies to treasure, but it applies to talents and time as well. For example, it's sort of as a the go-to person or perceived that way at sunrise, often tell people, please go to one of the elders, go to Pastor Brett. They really know everything. Please come to me. But sometimes people come to me, and as a lead pastor at sunrise, people say, hey, you know, I'm new to the church, and they readily share their experience of serving in small groups or helping in kids' ministry or helping to organize the books or running a sound system. I have some experience up there with doing that. They're aware of, and they've used their talents in the past. While other people might be just starting their first week back working with zero to two-year-olds. They're just getting to know, like, am I good at this? Can I contribute in some way here? And so you give as God shows you the talents he's given to you. And as you grow in those talents, you give more. What's amazing is as you give more, God blesses you in that. He's generous back to you. He always provides for you. Some of you have higher stress jobs. But you have more time during a less busy season. Some of you are parents of very young kids, but when your kids are older, you can actually have them join with you in giving time to serve the kingdom, to serve the king. Give in proportion. Prior to now, you may never have thought of yourself as someone gifted to contribute. You certainly didn't think of yourself as a priest who can point others to the king by using a time, talent, treasure, to glorify him. Maybe you've always kept that back for yourself. And that would be understandable. That's the default that we're born into. It's okay, I got time, spend it on myself. I have money, I'm going to spend it on me or just those close to me. I've got a talent, I'm going to use it to further my own career, my own place in life. 
But we start to see is that God has given everything to us in Jesus. He's given his only son. He has said, I'm giving you my greatest treasure. I'm giving you the one who spent all of time and eternity with me. I'm giving you the only one who has the power, the gift to bring you back in relationship with me. You might have a time, talent, or treasure. I want to encourage you, don't feel like you have to give it all today. I don't know if God's asking that, but what is that one thing he's calling you to give? What is that next step of generosity that you can make? Kingdom generosity can look different for different people in different seasons of life. Whether you love God back by loving your neighbor with time, talent, and treasure, whenever you're doing that, you're joining with God in building his kingdom. Whenever you love God back by loving your neighbor with something you have, you're joining with God and expanding the kingdom. And that's an awesome privilege. Could be doing your work well to the glory of God. Spreading the fragrance of Jesus, by the way, and doing that, who did his work well on this earth. It might be helping a neighbor move boxes or helping your kids learn how to use boxes and play with them. We know generosity is best spent on efforts to spread the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Like 12 of our church members who are going in just two weeks now, this is awesome, to Tegelsulgapa Honduras to continue the help of building an orphanage, of loving largely neglected kids, and sharing the good news about Jesus with others there. I'm so excited about this, and we should be excited too, but I wonder if we are. You, you, You can spend your time, your talent, adopting one of these 12. We still have a few you can adopt. Just spending time praying a little bit for them. Writing for them a little note of encouragement with a few scriptures that they can open and read while they go through hard days on their trip. You can spend a little bit of treasure taking them out for a meal afterwards. Saying, hey man, I want to see some of your pictures. I want to hear about the trip. I want to hear how God used you. That's a small step. You can spend treasure on them through a love gift this morning. In these chair pockets, we have envelopes that are designated. Love gift for Honduras. You can also give online. It's one way to give. When we went on this trip a few years ago, 2013, within three weeks, we had half of our costs paid for, $4,000 of the $8,000 we needed to go on the trip. I'm not going to lie to you guys. In two weeks, we have just under $200. I'm just going to throw that stat out there. I know. I, 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 when, I, when I saw that this week, I was like, man, I, man, Is there some way I can contribute to this? To these people going? This is not for our kingdom here at Sunrise. Trying to like, this is not for our building or for anything else. This is for people going to help build an orphanage to love kids and spread the gospel. One step. Maybe that could be it. Thirdly, which gets to why I'm mentioning this, leadership guides generosity. We see this with Moses, the leaders in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Leaders set the example in giving to the most pressing work. If you look here in verses 27 and 28, you'll notice what do, the, what do the leaders give to? What do they give to? They give to the stones that help the priests do their work and bear the people, the sons of Israel, before God. They give to incense and light that helps the priests read the Word of God. Leaders do that sort of thing. They give to the most pressing work, which is reconciling an unfaithful people to a faithful God. The gospel. Gospel work. 
So today, church leaders themselves should be setting the pace in generosity and giving of themselves to the lives of those who are giving themselves to the gospel. On the front lines, missionaries, other people in our church who are doing this kind of work. Leaders should also be encouraging generosity, but then backing off to give you room to respond. So I just did that, didn't I? I I shared with you just the facts. Here's what we've given so far. Here's what we've given before. We have a greater need. Moses does the same thing. Chapter 35, verse 4, he says, "Here, here is what God is commanding you to give. He boldly shares it. He encourages them with what God has to say. But then when all is said and done, he lets them leave. Verse 20. Right? They leave. Why? Because Moses knows if they're going to respond, it's going to be to a generous God. So when you leave today, I'm not going to ask you, hey, hey, by the way, did you grab one of those envelopes? (laughs) Did you give a love gift to Honduras? I'm not going to be sitting in the back. I'm not going to be checking names. I don't have access to our bank account. account, So I can't ever see what people give. And that's the way leadership should be in a local church. Challenge you, encourage you, remind you how good God is, and then back off. So we believe grace will do its work. Finally, generosity regenerates. The much more, the craftsman. It's amazing, isn't it? So much that, that Moses actually has to say, you've got to stop giving. Can you imagine being part of such a movement? Time, talent, treasure, where our elder team, our community group leaders, our ministry team leaders have to come to me and say, Ryan, tell the people to stop. Tell people to stop giving. Oh, glorious problem. Guys, this begins with you. What slot of time, what unused talent, what dormant treasure can you contribute to the glory of God and the building of His kingdom? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You that we know for sure we have a generous God we can trust. God, thank You for giving Your all to us. Help us respond. You're not calling us necessarily this morning, Lord, to give everything. Maybe you are. But you're asking us to give that next something. What's a time, a talent, a treasure we can give? Whether it be to the work of the church or the work in our workplace, to our families, Father, to the work of the gospel. What can we give? Please, Lord, help us as a church leadership steward that well. And may you spread the fragrance of your generosity everywhere. May it multiply. May it regenerate. So more of the world around us might be included in your kingdom. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.